reading from the prophet Micah, the sixth chapter, beginning with verse 1. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up. Plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against His people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam, my people. Remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted, and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. What shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Dear ones, this is the Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I thought it interesting that in the midst of what we are watching going on in Washington, that Micah would show up in the lectionary text and give us a glimpse of a courtroom scene in and of itself where God is, larging, is lodging a charge against God's people simply because they have forgotten Him. Forgotten Him. You might notice that God doesn't say, I've forgotten you, Israel. I've turned my back on you. You're so loathsome and sinful that I'm leaving you behind. I guess that would be in God's option. God could choose to do that. God could choose to walk away from us and say, you know, this people is too stiff-necked to get them to hear. They're too stubborn. But yet, God has a characteristic that we had to invent an English word to describe. Did you hear that, church? When we started translating the Old Testament into English, we had to invent a word to translate it. The Hebrew word is hesed. It's God's loving kindness in English. We made up a word, loving kindness, to show us what it is that is a characteristic of God that God then asks for from us. Hesed. And then there's justice, mishpat, and God is calling us to do both of those things because that's what God does. Remember when Jesus made a promise to us and said, you will be holy because your Father in heaven is holy? Remember that? You might remember it as you will be perfect because your Father in heaven is perfect. 
A reminder that we're going to be changed by this good news. It is not good news to tell someone God accepts you as you are, but God won't change you. Because all of us come to Christ because we need to be transformed and changed. We need to be wrestled out of our selfish mind. Maybe you've never been selfish, but I've been selfish enough that I'm convinced that everybody must be selfish at some time. So if you've never been selfish, I apologize for accusing you of something you haven't done. But I remember feeling like I was a selfish person when I was probably about three or something. Remember all that? I climbed in the crib with my brother one time and decided to beat him up. And the only thing to save my brother is my grandfather coming to get me, telling me I was going home with him. That's a selfish act, isn't it? Somehow we're tied to that, and God has tired of His people, especially the rich and the established in the community, turning their backs on the poor. That is God's complaint against them. They've forgotten that at one time they were all disenfranchised, poor, marginal, enslaved people. And some of them have decided that they're the elite that they're the enfranchised, that they're the people who get to decide everything for everybody else. And they've forgotten that the purpose of the sacrificial system that God gave them was to redeem them of their sins and not to appease God separate from their sins. Some of them had decided that they could get God to do what they wanted God to do if they gave enough or sacrificed enough. And so God brings a case to court and says, essentially, you have forgotten me. And calls them to something different. And it's that verse 8 that you've likely heard somewhere in your life. It is one of the most quoted of Scriptures. What does God require of you, O man? That you would do justice. That you would love mercy and walk humbly with your God. Or as the NIV here says it, to act justly, love mercies, walk humbly. Uh, the NRSV says to, to, to love kindness to love kindness boy there's a shortage of being in love with kindness in our world isn't there what a timely verse for us what a timely verse i don't like preaching moralizing sermons so i'm going to get us back to the gospel for a minute because you see it's tempting for preachers to tell people how they should behave because we want people to behave correctly uh, some years ago Something happened in Scotland at the Cathedral of Edinburgh. Stanley Hauerwas, who teaches ethics and some other things up at Duke University's Divinity School, went there to preach, and they have a really elevated pulpit. You know, I'm just like, what, three steps higher than you are here? But they have them on columns that are about this high, and the pulpit is on top of that. So the preacher's elevated above the people, I guess prop properly and maybe to give some sense of authority to what the preacher's going to say. Can you imagine that? I can. That's what I thought about when I saw it. And a lot of times, we think that the preacher decides when to get out of the pulpit, right? That preacher talked five minutes too long today. That's not what I do. I say what I believe is on my heart from God for you. But still, at some point, I'll decide to shut up and give you some relief. Well, this particular day... Stanley Howarth climbed up those steps into that pulpit and as he got rested there and got his hands on what we would call the sacred desk, he heard a key turn in a lock. And he turned and realized that the church sexton had locked him in the pulpit and said, we let you out when we believe we've heard the gospel. 
Isn't that cool? That the church decides to let the preacher out of the cage once the preacher has actually preached the gospel. So I want to be careful with you with this text. I don't want to say to you, you should act justly, you should do just, you should love mercy, you better do this, you better do that, you better do this, because that doesn't have a thing to do with what he's saying. We could read that and say, oh, that's right. If we will do this, if we will act justly, if we will love mercy, if we'll walk humbly with our God, we'll be saved, get our ticket punched, and get to go to heaven. Everything will be okay with us. And we're reading it entirely wrong. Because this text isn't aimed at everything being okay with me. It's aimed at everything being okay with my neighbor. It's aimed not at my relationship with God alone, but my relationship with everybody else on the earth. Do you hear that? If we read this as to say somehow this is what I'm supposed to do in my private life so I can appease God and make God happy, we are reading it wrong. It's an invitation from God into a different way of life that gives our life meaning and brings hope in the world because that is part of your job, to communicate hope in the world. The hope that you have in Christ. I'll give you an example. I don't know if it's true or not, but some people say it's true. Some people say it might not be true. Other people say it doesn't matter because the story illustrates the text. And I'm going to go with that. That sound good to you? Have you ever heard of LaGuardia Airport? Did you know it was named after somebody? A mayor. Who said that? Well, Clyde's been around long enough to know. 39 years. <laughs> 39 years. Yeah. 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 It's named after the mayor of New York. Mayor. Now hang on to me because my, my Italian's not really great. Fiorello LaGuardia. Did you hear that? Mayor during the Great Depression. Right after World War II, he was called by adoring New Yorkers the Little Flower. I have no idea. He wore a carnation around all the time. So here's what happened. During that time when New York was struggling so much, he would go on the radio, read Sunday funnies to the kids and stuff like that. He would tour around the night courts and be present in places where people were suffering. So one cold night in January of 1935, the mayor turned up at a night court that served the poorest ward of the city. LaGuardia dismissed the judge because he had the authority to do that. He dismissed the judge and took over the bench himself. So he made himself judge for the night. Within a few minutes, a tattered old woman was brought before him, charged with stealing a loaf of bread. She told LaGuardia that her daughter's husband had deserted her, her daughter was sick, and her two grandchildren were starving. But the shopkeeper from whom the bread was stolen refused to drop the charges. Do you hear that? She had been arrested for stealing bread from someone to feed her grandchildren and the shopkeeper refused to drop the charges. It's a real bad neighborhood, Your Honor, the man told the mayor. She's got to be punished to teach other people around here a lesson. LaGuardia sighed. He turned to the woman and said, I've got to punish you. The law makes no exceptions. Ten dollars or ten days in jail. But even as he pronounced sentence... The mayor was already reaching into his pocket. He extracted a bill and tossed it into his famous sombrero, saying, 
Here is the $10 fine which I now remit. And furthermore, I'm going to fine everyone in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a town where a person has to steal bread so that her grandchildren can eat. Mr. Bailiff, collect the fines and give them to the defendant. It's astounding, isn't it? Story goes on, the following day, the New York City newspapers reported that $47.50 was turned over to a bewildered old lady who had stolen a loaf of bread to feed her starving grandchildren. Fifty cents of that amount had been contributed by the red-faced grocery store owner. While some 70 petty criminals, people with traffic violations, and New York City policemen, each of whom had just paid 50 cents for the privilege of doing so, gave the mayor a standing ovation. And that story is encapsulated everything the prophet is telling us. The prophet wants us to act with justice. We can't ignore the wrongs in the world. We can't say that things that are not okay are okay just to appease people. But we can say we are with you. We will walk with you. We will help you. We will strengthen you. We will do whatever we can to change your situation. Likewise, we're called to love mercy, to love hesed, to love the love of God so much that we share the love of God with other people. And part of that is when we work to change the world around us. To change a world where someone would have to steal to feed their families. To see that people not have equality of things, That's not what he's advocating for. God is upset because the rich of that society were ignoring the starving and helpless of the society. And so God had brought them to court. Micah's position is they shouldn't be surprised. He's already told you what he wants from you. He wants for you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with him. Wow, what an opportunity for a moralizing sermon to tell you what to go out and do. But that's not the gospel. The good news is that while we have failed to do this, we are not being treated as we deserve. God is not condemning us. God is not judging us. God is not destroying us. God is not leaving us because that is truly what we deserve. Mercy is when we are given something we do not deserve. Justice is when we are led to ask for it. There are many injustices in our society that many of our leaders point out correctly and people ignore because their party disagrees with it. Likewise, there are many acts of injustice in our society that some parties disagree with because they want the people's vote. And you can interpret both of those to be about either one of the parties we have. And please know, I don't like either one of them, so don't be mad at me. But here we are. The people of God standing in the midst of struggle and strife that I haven't seen in my lifetime in our system. How will we respond? Will we stand up for mercy? Will we stand up for justice? The gospel, the good news is that God will give us the strength to do so. 
The require here is a way of saying that this is what God wants from us because we're God's people. And if God wants it from us, God will equip us to do it. Remember when Jesus said that the two greatest commandments was to love God and love your neighbor? Remember that? Didn't it just fit wonderfully with this? And all through the rest of the New Testament, the writers teach us how to do that through the power of Christ. It's by Christ that we are empowered to truly love mercy. So much so that we might ignore what being merciful might cost us. When our hearts are transformed by the risen Christ, we are truly able to love what justice is. Justice is the restoration of a broken person. It is ensuring that people have what they need to live. And this is the ministry that God calls us to so that we can be truly and fully alive. So that we can experience God's goodness all around us. That's good news. God isn't wanting to put a burden on us. God is wanting us to be His people who walk humbly with Him. And the truth is this, we cannot love mercy, we cannot act justly until we walk humbly with God, until we realize that doing this will not save us, that the only thing that saves us is having faith in Christ. And it's our faith in Christ that then allows us to give God what God desires from us, which is for us to... Act justly and love mercy. And walk humbly with Him. To not put our opinions before God, but to put our opinions with God. To rest in the mystery of God. We do not go before God in the world. We go with God in the world as God goes before us. To walk humbly with Him means not to think so highly of ourselves that we forget who we were before Christ pulled us out of the darkness of sin and death. Not to forget that we too were once broken and without homes. That we too were once separated from God by our sin. That we too were once people that someone would have said they don't deserve mercy. But God says all people are subject of God's mercy. And all people will be held to God's justice. And so our calling is to first walk humbly with God and remember who we are. That we are sinners saved and redeemed and being transformed by grace. To be something different. To show people that there's a different way to live in the world. That God calls us to be something new. A people who truly do act justly. And love mercy. A people who stand for those who can't speak for themselves. Not to appease God, but because we love God. And my hope is that now the mystical door that locked behind me is open. <laughs> I hope that I've shared with you the good news, the gospel of Christ that there is power to change your heart here at this table. In this meal, God gives us the grace we need to be God's people. To be transformed. To have hearts that can love our enemies 
and seek life for people we disagree with. I hope that that gospel will sink into you. That we're not saved because of what we think or what we believe or who we are. We're saved because we trust Christ and realize that we need Christ.